We've all been there, in the middle of a job, everything going smoothly, until boom, you're missing a part. United Refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs. Use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of day or night to check stock on your favorite brands, such as Copeland, Sporlin, Carlisle Compressors, Danfoss, Emerson CPC Boards and Sensors, Carell, Hussman Parts, and Ketotherm. United Refrigeration Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the homepage can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number, or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account, click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. has all your solutions down cold. John, how can you always have the right TV for the right application without carrying hundreds of valves on your truck? You can carry the hundreds of valves on a trailer behind your truck. That's too funny. That would work, but how are you going to do that? Maybe there's an easier way. You can use Sporlin's interchangeable cartridge style Type-Q and Type-BQ uh, TEVs. Type-Q is a conventional design and Type-BQ is a balanced port TEV. Well, come on, I need easy. How easy is it? Uh, easy is one, two, three. And it serves thousands of unique applications. So what's the process? How do I put this together? First, you select the thermostatic element assembly. Then you select the body that you need. Then you select the right size cartridge for the application to get the proper capacity TEV for your application. And then I guess it should also be said you want to actually assemble those to a single valve. That'd probably be a good idea. Indeed. These easy to select and assemble valves mean you're always carrying the right valve for the right job then. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, you can go to sporland.com and find more information on the Type Q and BQ thermostatic expansion valves. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off. First question for August. What's the defrost schedule supposed to be for a 05DM NRG case? Please email your answer to arpgiveaways at gmail.com. Hello guys, this episode is brought to you by Fieldpiece. The tough wireless vacuum gauge MG44 from Fieldpiece is engineered to give you the reliable reading you need and the ease that you want. Confidently measure vacuums with a reliable leak-proof seal. The MG44 
can be used with the job link system app from up to a thousand feet away. This easy to read backlit LCD offers a graphical representation of the vacuum progress even in low light or at odd angles. Visit www.fieldpiece.com for information or follow us on social media at Fieldpiece Products. Thanks again and enjoy the episode. You guys! Enough! Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hi guys, welcome to the Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Compass, with my uh, co-host here, Brett Wetzel. How's it going, going, Brett? What's going on, guys? Uh, you know, living the dream, trying to try to do what you know, whatever I can. What do you got going on this week, man? Oh, I'm just uh, running service and uh, wrapping up a few projects before uh, I start uh, another. Uh, Another EMS change out. What are, you, what are you doing? Changing from what to what? From Emerson to Microthermal. Really? They're not all done yet? No, there's like a never-ending amount of them. I thought they had everything done for that. God, no. There's, I, I probably quote three, three or four a month. Is Chicago still on fire? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's never not going to be on fire. Well, I didn't know how, how, hot, Jesus, how hot it still was out there. It's like it goes from like 60 to, to almost 100 like every week. So it's just bouncing back and forth. Yeah, I think our low has been, I think, 82 or 85. And then by, you know. 10 or 11 o'clock, it's up to 100 degrees. And I think today was 104, 108 or something. I don't know. I, I've given up. <laughs> but Guys, tonight we're going to talk about HCR doors. Uh, they can be, you know, they're, they're essentially air doors. Uh, so you can have an open uh, walk-in cooler. Um, this way the door can stay open so customers can walk in and grab their groceries and and without having to, you know, keep opening and closing the walk-in door. And, you know, there's a little bit of nuances with some of this stuff. So we're going to go through some of the idiosyncrasies that you might need to know in order to adjust these things well. Um, I'm going to start by saying, you know, a lot of times you'll see where the um, underneath the coil, usually in the big box stores, they have these uh, installed with a low profile evaporator where the fans are directly in the center. And if uh, those doors are not set up properly, it will utterly just continue to screw you. Um, Let's just start off with like, they claim that these doors are, they claim that these doors are 80 to 90% efficient. It's more like 35 to 40% efficient. You think? Yeah. I've yet to see one of these properly adjusted perform how they say it's supposed to perform. Huh. I don't know if I totally agree with that. I, I've had really good I've had really good luck with, with adjusting them and I don't know. They they never work how they say they're gonna work. And then here's my problem. 
you call this you call HCR. Uh-huh. You get three different. You get depending on who you get you talk to, you get three different answers on how to set this door up. Really? Yes. I I have gotten three different answers on how to set these doors up, and I've done a ton of these, and I want to hang myself every single time I I touch one. So what? Uh, yeah. So these these doors aren't set up properly. It, it just it will either. Uh, usually end up causing a whole bunch of, of moisture to build up in the evaporator. And, and basically the principle on why it does it uh, right underneath the evaporator, uh, underneath the evaporator coils uh, more, more specifically, is because of the dew point. Now, just to remind you, dew point is the temperature at which uh, moisture uh, will start dropping out. Um, so for an example, because we're all you know, used to this, think of a door frame heater. Right. You know, typically in a supermarket, we try to maintain a 55 uh, degree dew point. And if the temperature of the door frame is less than 55 degrees, that's when you'll start having the moisture and the ice build up on the door frame. Well, this is the same principle that I'm going to explain and kind of use for the explanation of why there's moisture building up underneath the evaporators. So if you were to walk in and let me run some quick numbers real quick. If you were to run in and for argument's sake, let's just say the box is at 40 degrees. Okay. Um, weather, I got an app on my phone. It's called Weatherfeel. Basically, we'll tell you what the dew point is based off of your relative humidity and your temperature. So for argument's sake, let's just say that the box temperature currently is 40 degrees because it's not maintaining down to temperature. We're also going to say that the humidity is exuberantly high. Let's just say it's uh, 75%. That gives you a wet bulb temperature of 36 degrees. Now that means anything uh, under 36 degrees, it will start to sweat. Anything over will not. So the reason why this is kind of important is because if we're maintaining a box uh, you know, we're typically trying to maintain about 18 degrees uh, saturated to 20 degrees saturated. Now, with those numbers that I just gave, the 40 degree uh, actual dry bulb temperature and the 75% humidity, that gives us a wet bulb temperature of 36 degrees. Well, if our coil is operating at 18 degrees, that's obviously less than the 36 degrees. So we're going to end up, you know, creating moisture. Um, underneath the evaporator, you know, where, you know, going along the, you know, the evaporator, right where the coils are. Now, if we were to get the humidity down, down to, let's just say, you know, 40%, um, that gives us a dew point of 31. So that means, you know, we still don't have it dry enough in there. Let's see what happens when we get the temperature of the box down. That gives us a wet bulb temperature of, you know, 27 degrees. So, I mean, the lower you can get your humidity, the more the dew point's essentially going to, uh, you know, decrease, which means we can have the evaporator temperature, um, you know, where it's supposed to be and not not get that moisture build up underneath the evaporators. Um, anything you want to add to that before we get into the door setup? No, I mean, that's basically, this, you know, it. I mean, if you keep all the warm, humid air out of the box, then it's, it's going to function more. It's going to function better. You know, you don't want you don't want to turn that coil into a dehumidifier. The issue comes in is when when these doors are on a box is all it takes is you know some four hundred pound cow of a you know customer 
you know, standing in front of this thing for 10 minutes. And now, now you have this giant, you know, air vortex getting sucked inside the uh, box. Mm-hmm. So here's where the problem is. They put a pallet there. If they put anything there, if anything obstructs the airflow whatsoever, or if any air current from the outside hits the, hits the, the airstream, the whole thing is destroyed in a door non-functions. So then instead of, you know, like a normal box, you know, a little bit of air just coming in there, it just rapidly becomes the sponge of the entire store. Yeah, agreed. Uh, having an, uh, a greater temperature than what they spec too on the outside is, is bad too. Um, when you look at the uh, spec sheet, it basically tells you, you know, what the temperature should be. Um, I think it's usually 75 degrees or below it has to be. Um, obviously, what the temperature on the inside has to be. Um, some of these uh, units, you know, are just a ductwork and VFD. Um, and then some actually have, some of the customers have a separate coil. Correct, Kevin? Yeah. So, I mean, the dairy, for them to be using a dairy cooler, they should have a separate coil. Why do you say that? Because it provides an extra layer of dehumidification and HCR even recommends it. So for it to be inside of a dairy cooler to have that colder inside temperature, they recommend running a coiled um, HCR door. Now that becomes a whole nother set of challenges with setting up this door because the whole door setup process becomes more involved because now you have this coil in here that's adding to the static pressure of the door. So you have to overcome that coil static pressure and you have to make sure you have enough airflow because you have to increase the volume of air flowing through this thing now. So you have to increase the volume of air and you have to make sure the EPR is 100% correctly set. And I don't know why a lot of these manufacturers continue to send out electronic EPRs on these. It, you cannot use an electronic EPR with this. I don't care what anybody says. It nonstop leads to issues. That being said, if you get the coil temperature below freezing on this thing, it will frost over and it will cause a massive slip and fall risk. Because once that coil freezes over, it's going to start raining inside this HCR door. So you need to make sure that uh, you have the coil temperature set, you know, higher. So like we generally run like a 45 degree discharge air temp, 45 to 50 degrees. So like usually no, no more than 35 degree coil temps to keep it from freezing. Okay. Now, and then the other thing with the, uh, with the HCR doors, with the coils in them, the trapping of the drains, I see everybody messes this up. The drains have to be trapped individually. So there's two different separate drains on this thing. There's a supply and a return drain, basically. Like a, there's a, uh, there's a where, where the coil would be drained, like where the pan is sitting, and there's a drain pan inside of the um, lower compartment to catch any carryover because there's going to be carryover no matter what because you you have a lot of velocity coming off of a, a off of a small coil, so. What I see guys do a lot is they will tee these together and they will trap them afterwards or they will tie them into the coil drains. You cannot do that. 
they have to be trapped individually and then they have to be trapped separate from the actual coil drains because you have all that velocity pouring in there it'll actually push air warm humid air from the uh, air door right into the coils and it'll go right into the coil drain pans and you'll have this huge load push put on these uh, coils now because now they're getting all this humidity straight out of the drain because you have so much velocity coming out of that drain. It'll, it'll push straight pressure, you know, into the, uh, into the actual coil. So these need to have a very deep trap on them to make up for that, that static pressure that that water needs to hold back on to keep that uh, humid air from blowing into the coils. So that, that's one big thing I see everybody mess up is the way they trap these. They have to be trapped individually. And then, right. so I so I have a question. So I'm 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 kind of confused. So there, how many coils are typically in this HDR? Because uh, I've only seen one or two of them, and that was like probably nine years ago. So this is one coil. Okay, so you keep saying that you have to trap them separately. So can you can you elaborate on that a little bit better? There's a drain pan inside the inside the blower cavity. There's a drain pan on the supply side. Okay. Okay. All right. So the 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 drain pan inside the 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 blower cavity would obviously be the return side. Mm-hmm. So and then the the supply side is that was the supply side because so you got two different pressures there. So if you don't trap properly, it won't drain right. Do you know what the static pressure is supposed to be at a maximum across that coil? I do not remember. Okay. You guys would love to talk about it though. I'm just you're an ass. I'm just I'm curious, you know, so you could tell what you know what it's supposed to be. You know, typically on an air conditioning, you know, coil you're supposed to have, I think, anywhere from Oh god, if you start quoting like things that aren't aren't hundred percent, you are going to get ridiculed. That's right. They have half to half to one inch of water column, no more than that. Because that, that oh, would they're gonna ridicule you. <laughs> it's gonna be probably up. It, it's going to be indicative of the coil actually icing up. Now I'm going to have that. Well, so I don't have any. So next time you're at a uh, a Bosco, uh, why don't you measure it across and let, let us know what the, uh, the 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 static pressure is without any icing holes in there? And uh, I would be probably strung up and 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 murdered for that. <laughs> so I mean, generally, like same with these HDR doors, guys. There is a filter in these, and make sure that it stays. There's not supposed to be at that particular customer. There, there's a filter rack in there. They are not using it at this point. But I have had five, five of these come out with filters installed in them, and within like a week, they're plugged. So, yeah, okay. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of volume moving in there. It's easier to clean the coil than is to, to change the filter every week. It literally takes a few minutes to clean the coil in those things. I usually just hose the shit out of them with a hose. Um, but generally, make sure the coil's clean, and then make sure the uh, supply air uh, filters are clean on the nozzles. Make sure all the nozzles are clean. <clears throat> generally, there's a mesh air filter in there. So I think the one that you're talking about is the one that definitely has the the coil uh, the coil in it. All the ones at the the big box stores that are utilizing these that do not have the coil do not have a filter in them Correct. so you know you, just have, they just have filters on the outside 
all the ones if, I've seen. If that. They're supposed to have like the filter on the outside. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> so on the uh, on the uh, side that, that Kevin's talking about, the nozzle side, uh, basically it's the discharge. Uh, there are, are two pieces to this. Uh, there is a uh, inside slide damper that has to be set up a certain way before you even start. Um, Do not touch it from the factory. What? Yes. No. So the, I'm going to throw it to you, the number one thing. Do not start adjusting things on this door until they tell you to. A, you void the warranty as soon as you do. 100%. You void the warranty as soon as you start adjusting nozzles and stuff. Not every single not every single customer has HCR actually come out and adjust those doors. No, they they come so I've I've had this argument so many times. All those doors come factory preset. So all the angles unless they get mangled during install, those all should be factory preset. All so right, the, gonna... the gap should be two and a half in the middle. Or I'm sorry, one and a half in the middle, and then it should be oh man, is it four and a half? To five, it, it, dep it depends on each. So the the one that I'm speaking of is usually one and a quarter in the middle. If they're all um, the same. Every yeah, single well, it, then it's one and a quarter in the middle and five and a quarter at the top. That's the opening gap. But before you do that, you have to set the nozzle on the inside with those slides. The ones that you just said don't touch. The yeah, top so one and the and the bottom one are supposed to be 100% open. So you yeah. loosen up that half inch uh, nut that's in there. You slide those all the way out. The one in the middle needs uh, needs the gap be, uh, between to be about an inch and a quarter, I believe, or an inch and a half. And then that's when you then can adjust the actual discharge angle nozzle dampers on the outside. Do not touch any of that. It's all supposed to be factory preset. Never. Never. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, every single door I've started up, the the spacing is always set up that way. And the nozzle is always set up that way. Every single door, the 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 feet per, or the the CFM is wrong, or the door is bent physically the wrong way from from guys hitting it with lifts or something like that. Every single door that I start up at Costco, the the louvers are preset. Trust me, I've 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 called HCR to, to, to just to unload on them so many times because like. You know, it says not to mess with it, and then you start messing with it. And I mean, I, I've I've gapped them a little more, I've gapped them a little less, but all that is supposedly set up from the factory, and supposedly it voids the warranty messing with it, because now you take on all liability for the uh, the way the door is set up. I'm gonna have to agree to disagree. I. I've never had one that was that was set up properly because usually I'll get the call where, you know, the box never maintains temperature and, and typically the EPR is at 100 percent and all the evaporators are, are sweating inside the box. Um, I've just I've never I've never seen one set up from the factory ever. Um but those nozzles, so there, there's a certain way that you have to do it. And I'll, I'll post some pictures of, of how it's supposed to be. Um, but Kevin's correct. It's, uh, the gap at the top uh, of the actual dampers that are adjustable are supposed to be 
uh, five and a quarter at the top of an opening, uh, five and a quarter at the bottom. Um, there's also a little nozzle with adjustment uh, piece of steel in there that has a whole bunch of holes in it. Uh, typically, you have from end to end, you're not you're going to be one in from the very end. Uh, that should get you in the ballpark where you need to be. Same thing with the bottom. And then the one in the middle, you typically only have uh, one or two of those holes being empty before the, the bolt goes through to actually hold that adjustment. Well, um, here's the other thing. So, like, the top should be curving out of the box. The bottom should be curving into the box. And the middle should be pretty much straight. Now, I've seen this done a multitude of ways. Um they used to send out stringer uh, marking string. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, ribbon. Now, yeah, it's like if a yellow caution, yellow ribbon. If you go to use caution tape, it's too heavy. Mm-hmm. Not gonna work. So, yellow marking ribbon. Home Depot has it. It's real light ribbon uh, for marking stuff. That works fairly well. My new go-to is toilet paper. So. I don't do it how they say that they do it in the, in the thing anymore. So what I used to, used to do, and I still do it on occasion, is I'll tie every eight inches. I'll tie off a ribbon and do not tear the end. Slice the end cleanly with a knife because if you tear the end, it'll fuck it all up. I don't know why it does it. Because when you, when you rip it, when you rip it, you're basically making it more dense at the end. Yeah. And, it, and it makes it too heavy. It, it makes it too heavy and then it doesn't flow properly. And the recommendation I have is when you're setting up these ribbons, whether you set up eight, uh, I usually set up three, um, you have it usually about four to five inches cut before it actually hits the other side. Um, that'll yeah. give you an accurate representation of how the, you know, how the airflow is supposed to be. So um, you're going to feel quite a bit of carryover on the outside of the box when it's set up properly. It, I, I've never, they say you're not, Everyone that I've had working properly, there's quite a bit of carryover on the outside of the box. So what I generally do is I take a broomstick and I will take the ribbon or I will take toilet paper and I will take the broomstick and I will make it like eight inches or uh, maybe like say if the door opening's 10 feet, I'll make it eight feet, like two feet short. And I'll just carry that broomstick along the outside air current. And I'll watch the way the air current goes. The top should be curving out. The middle should be curving like more towards the straight of the door. And then the the forward or the bottom should be curving in. Now, generally, when I see these doors set up wrong, it is the same things almost every time. For a non-coiled door, it's 46 to 49 hertz every single time. With a coiled door, it's 56 to 58 hertz every single time. No more, no less. If you're cranking them up more, something's set up wrong with the door, the louvers are in the wrong spot. If, if, if you're not making velocity, something's the louvers are in the wrong spot. If they're too low, what ends up happening is you start falling off before you reach the end. You won't, you won't, you won't make the all the way to the end of the end of the pass. It there's not make it all the way there. It like does this this tumble, and then you end up not throwing the air into the box. You start feeling a lot more humidity coming into the box. Yeah, you'll see the bottom, the, the bottom specifically the bottom ribbon will kind of not be able to make it all the way across. It's usually um, the top. 
Usually the top ribbon is every time I see it, it's the top ribbon won't make it to, won't make it to, all the way across. Hey guys, today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries serviceable oil floats. Many oil separators contain an oil float to effectively meter separated oil back to the compressors. Westermeyer Industries has taken this concept and perfected it. With their new line of serviceable oil floats, these floats feature an improved design with fewer components, allowing for greater manufacturer consistency and up to 20% increased oil flow versus their legacy models. These floats also feature an integrated magnet to shield the oil path from debris and have been field proven in supermarket applications. Westmire Industries offer replacement oil floats not only for their own separators, but also cross-compatible models for our competitor oil separators as well. You can find out more about the Westermeyer Industries serviceable oil floats by visiting westermeyerind.com backslash floats. Once again, that's westermeyerind.com slash float. Let's get on with the episode. And you said, yeah, so... What I'm sorry. What hurt? What hurts? Did you say I heard something. Forty nine for uh, so, coil, but on the low, what did you say? So f- for a coiled door, it's fifty six to fifty eight hertz. For a mm-hmm. non coiled door, it's forty six to forty nine hertz. Yeah, it, it depends. Man, it depends. I because I the only. I only went a little bit lower than that. I think 40, 42 is basically my limit. So you're right as far as the top end, but like I've been able to be able to adjust them at like 42. It's, it's, it's a play game. Um, I, you know, I posted, if you guys do a look on the supermarket refrigeration tech talk, uh, Facebook group there, if you type in HCR and my name, you'll see one that I adjust and you'll see the ribbons and you know, how it was set up as far as what the throw is supposed to look like. Because it's funny because, you know, like Kevin said, the reason why we have the the top one forcing out a little bit towards the outside of the box is because obviously heat's going to rise. And the same same principle with the bottom one, you want to try to scoop all that cold air in. So, you know, you're scooping that in. You'll see the air actually almost do a, a towards the top and towards the bottom with the ribbon. You'll see it basically doing like a little bit of a C. It'll come in a little bit in the box and then go right back into into the center of the door same thing with the top it's going to want to go out a little bit and actually scoop back in a little bit um i believe the angle on those uh nozzles uh on the angled adjustments is supposed to be i believe about 20 percent excuse me if i'm not uh, 20 20 degree angle if i'm not mistaken and they actually they have a layout which i'll also put on there uh, the document that I have, uh, form HCR dash 48 D this, this, uh, takes care of the, uh, the units that are, um, without the coils and you'll, it actually shows you what the primary air is supposed to be. So when they talk about the primary air, they're talking about the air coming out of the discharge, going into, going into the return across the way. Uh, and they'll show you what the secondary air looks like. You'll, you know, it's, it's basically the venturi action that happens with the air on on the outside that that 
keeps that air a little bit separated. And they have an adjustment guide that basically will tell you if your air looks like this, it's straight. If your secondary and primary air looks like this, where it's going too far out of the box, it tells you that your discharge velocity or your angle is too small. Um, you might need to increase the velocity with the hand damper or the VFD, uh, increase the discharge angle or reduce the uh, nozzle width. And if basically it's blowing out too far, um, discharge air velocity and or your angle is too large, letting too much air, you know, go one way or another. Um, and basically their fixes for it is reduce the velocity with the hand damper of VFD. So that would be adjusting your speed, obviously. So uh, Jerry, reduce only 12 to 1300 or 12 to 1300 feet per minute is like the sweet spot. Yep. Well, yep, they so I take an anemometer and I and I run it up and down, generally eight to ten inches from the bottom, eight to ten inches from the top, and more towards the center. Holds it straight. I use a Testo one, and uh, generally, I'm shooting for like twelve fifty ish feet per minute, and that generally is a sweet spot. I usually don't mess with the dampers for that. If I if I'm over or under, I'll I'll raise the drive a little bit or lower the drive a, a smidge, you know, and you'd be surprised how much, you know, one or two Hertz affects it. It's a lot. Yeah. You want to make uh, small adjustments and, and just wait. One, um, you know, first and most important thing, like I said, is, is getting those, uh, those angles set up as, as good as humanly possible. And then next step is, is trying to adjust your speed and seeing where, where it is and, and seeing if you have enough throw. And because you'll see sometimes if you have it set too high, it'll start throwing more air outside of the box. Um, you know, then in turn, I've seen uh, cases across the way from these open air uh, door walk-ins where, you know, you're washing out the case that's in front of it or on the side of, you know, on the side of where the air is. And you're basically just blowing a whole bunch of air into it, causing high temperatures on another case that's not even associated with the door. Yeah, the the other thing is, I've watched doors, you know, have a rooftop 100 feet away, and it randomly, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. The blower comes on, and uh, it's enough to affect the air curtain. It doesn't take very much to interrupt these things. I mean, if everything is not perfect, this door does not work. That is my biggest problem with them. If, every, if everything is not perfect with this door, even including the environment, it's not going to work. So that, with that being said, if the box is slightly cold, so say if your set point's 34 degrees and you're running 32 in the box, now you're outside of design parameters and that box is now going to not be able to keep back the humidity and it's going to draw in more humidity and you're not going to maintain. So, I mean, that box has to be pretty much on both sides of the door, has to be completely set up properly. You need to be, you know, a 50 degree dew point or less on the the store side, you need to be at your uh, set point on the other side. Like I see, for example, Costco, the, the produce coolers, they run at 40 degrees or 39 degrees is a set point. So I see guys run them down to 37 and then they have issues. Well, that air door is not designed in, in those boxes to maintain that box at 37 degrees. It's maintained, designed to keep it at 40, 39 to 40 degrees. And it can't keep up. The air door can't keep up. You need a refrigerated air door at that point, like the dairy boxes have. I mean, the Sam's Club ones, they sort of work, but I mean, they also have a lot more coil in there. 
than than some of these other boxes. The Sam's Club, a uh, Sam's Club Dairy Cooler has probably triple the amount of, or double the amount of coils uh, BTUs than than a Costco does. Oh, in like the actual coils hanging in the evaporator. Yep. Not not the yeah. Because I was gonna say the Sam's Club one don't have the coil six, within the there's, unit. There's six coils in a in a in a in a in a dairy cooler in a Walmart. There's four coils in a Costco or two coils in a Costco. So another important thing to know about these things, typically you'll see a door switch at the very bottom. And what that door switch is for is for two reasons. One, uh, when you shut that door, uh, it basically shuts down half of the evaporators in that box. So if you have six evaporators, it shuts off three of them. The other thing it's supposed to do, it's supposed to send a signal, a closure signal to the VFD to put it at a minimum uh, percentage because if they close the door, we don't need any airflow really going across the thing to, you know, block any air. The door is shut and we don't need, obviously, the amount of capacity that we needed. So we shut down three of the evaporators. That being said, you have to use a double pull, double throw switch. You cannot team up the uh, the input that goes to the IXO module, basically the input module when they're using Novar. You and could. No, stop. XIO. Oh, thank you. So the in, the input board can't share the same input. Um, you can't share the same set of closure on that switch. The reason why is because sometimes the input board, because it has DC voltage there, um, it will shut down the VFD to the minimum speed when it's not supposed to. That's why you need a second set of of, of uh, open set of contacts on there. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I think it has something to do with the voltage, you know, sitting there on the on the input. But I've seen intermittently where the door won't be at, you know, the full speed that you set it. Um, it won't be running at the 42 to 49 hertz or whatever. Uh, it'll be just running at the minimum, which I think is supposed to be set for 35 percent. So that's why we can't share that. So make sure you have a separate set of contacts on there. Otherwise, you'll you'll cause an intermittent where the door is not knowing what the hell it wants to do, whether it wants to be at 35% or whether it wants to be at the, the speed that you actually set it. Uh, what kind of VFD is on there, Kevin? Do you remember? It's a Mitsubishi. Okay. Either Mitsubishis or they're uh, the same VFDs that they use in those. Uh, or they're Allen Bradleys, I'm sorry. They're, AB, they're Allen Bradley drives, not AVBs, Allen Bradleys. Yeah, I can't remember. The... the uh... They have a, a dial on there that you, that's where you set the actual speed, and then in the in the program itself, uh, uh, I'll find that parameter. It's on the door. The, the... yeah, so uh, P one hundred four. Okay, they actually have it set for thirty hertz, and the maximum frequency is set for sixty. So whenever you do that minimum minimum frequency, and you give it that shutdown set of contacts, that's when it goes down to the minimum percent. You freeze? Oh. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> oh. It's with, bad. That, with that being said, guys, just make sure that like these doors are actually like set up the way they're supposed to be. I mean, you can call HCR when you have problems, but I, this is where like I get really frustrated with this because like if you call HCR, you're gonna get three different answers depending on who you talk to on how to set this door up. 
So that's where it gets like super frustrating. I mean, different guys at HCR set them up differently and that, that becomes a problem. So, and if the door isn't set up right, it's not, the box isn't going to function properly. So just take some humidity readings outside and inside. I mean, there's a lot of times the rooftops aren't set up properly. Like customers will just throw these things in a store with no dehumidification. And now this thing becomes dehumidification. Is the dot, are the dot, is air pouring into the dock doors? I mean, this is, this is not going to keep humid air out of the box. I mean, humid air is going to go right into that thing. No matter what, it's going to become a sponge. So, I mean, th- there may be a point to you you having building pressurization problems or you have dehumidification problems. And unfortunately, this door is just not going to work. It's it's no you could set it up you know as proper as you want. If you have high dew points and high relative humidities in the store, it's not going to work. It's not going to function properly, even with a coil in it. It's not going to work. So I just I just found the spec. It's uh, 75 degrees for the for the maximum outdoor like outer room temperature and 60% relative humidity. So it's basically almost almost like what a type one case is. The relative humidity can be a little bit higher, but I mean from my experience as far as you know Costco's their humidity in their in their building isn't usually always the best. How about how about you? Are they still the same? Or are they they've got that under control yet? The new stores, yeah, it's under control. The old stores, absolutely not under control. Yeah. Um, but Sam's the same way. I mean, most of Sam's clubs are, you know, the older ones are humid as could be, especially if they, I mean, if the monitors are broke every week. Either that or they're leaving the, the receiving door open uh, and they're just, they're, it's a wind tunnel from the back of the store all the way up to the front of the store and there's nothing you can freaking do about it, you know, no, no matter so yeah, it's just gonna build. I mean, it's just it's, and then now that that box becomes becomes a sponge, it, it becomes a dehumidification for the store. So I mean, just make sure the doors are set up properly, but don't don't forget about the environment on the outside. I mean, there there may be times where you guys need to you know force a couple of rooftops on, force some heat on in the building to you know keep keep the rooftops going in that area to you know dehumidify that air a little bit to keep it running. You don't want this box to become a dehumidifier. And then setting up the, the fan speed, making sure it's at 1,200 feet per minute and uh, making sure your, your VFDs are, you know, using those uh, those percentages I gave out to get you close. And then just tweaking your angles. I mean, a lot of times I've had to pull the tops a little farther out. You know, I, I'll take a tape measure and uh, I'll make sure it's again, I think it's a one and a half inch gap from top top to top lip to bottom lip on the from the, the door face. So you want to make sure that you have that gap from the, the top face of the door facing out and then the bottom of the door facing in. And then you should have uh, equal gap in the middle. So you may have to take that and just take it and get up there and bend it a little bit. Just physically just bend it a little bit, kick it a little bit more, give it a little more kick out. That's why I say like I'd rather blow more air out of the box than blow humid air into the box. So I'd rather have a little more carry out of the box and then uh, carry into the box. So, I mean, just, just just take that into account. I mean, you guys may have to tweak it a little bit here and there. But like I said, those doors are supposed to be now, in like in the last year and a half, they've all supposedly been factory set. And they literally come with a tag on them that say these are factory set. And like the bolts are taped. Like, do not adjust these. This is factory set. Call call tech support before moving any forward with adjustments. So they did, did, they, did they just start doing that? 
in the last year and a half, like every every one of them I started up has had all those tags all over it. And I mean, they're everywhere on on the, the top, the middle, the the bottom, on every adjustment point. There's a there's literally a tag. See, I have to God, I've never freaking seen one like that ever. The problem is because guys go in there and they start messing with these doors and they get them so far out of whack that, you know, guys spend a day or two trying to fix them. So they get so far out of whack. So they don't want you, they, they, they put them all in one spot. And then when you call tech support, they tell you to mess with it, but like, make sure you get their name because uh, it, what, what I found is like, you'll call back and they'll be like, Oh, I don't know who told you to do that. That would be one of us. It's like, no, this guy literally just told me to do this and told me, well, the other guy doesn't know what he's talking about apparently because, uh, you know, he's telling me to do it this way. I'm like, what is going on here? This is chaos. Well, they, you know, they have some really good videos. Um, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen them uh, on the HCR Jameson website. There's videos that give you a brief overview on how to adjust these things. Um, like I said, I'll be posting a whole bunch of information, whatever I got onto the Advanced Refrigeration Podcast uh, Facebook group. So you what guys can see. 70s video, like with the guy with the blue hard hat, where it's like, it looks like that 1970s safety video. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right, actually. 100%. 100%. That's the exact video. I mean, but it's... It's, it's it, good. It's, it's a decent video. Yeah, I had a... So a guy was making fun of me because I was putting up, uh, you know, pictures on one of the posts about me adjusting this door. And he does the... He puts up, like, the Napoleon Dynamite where he's dancing with the fucking ribbon where it looks like a ballerina just busting my balls for adjusting an HCR door. By the way, don't do this in the while you're... During business hours, if you if you need to adjust it, come in stupid early in the morning and adjust it then. Because trying to adjust it while you have people walking through that thing constantly is the most aggravating thing ever. Yeah, that's why I do it with the stick now. The stick. Yeah, I, I use this. I don't run, I don't run the ribbons across the door anymore. I use a stick and I and I run the ribbon. I hold the stick in my hand there. I put the ribbon on there so I could move it around wherever. That that's that's how HCR tells you how to set them now. Against really? how, yeah, they don't want you to tie off to the door anymore with ribbons. They want you to take toilet paper and wrap it around a uh, light toilet paper, wrap it around like a, a broomstick, and they want you to find the air curtain that way. Yeah, I'm gonna do my Swan Lake. <laughs> It, 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 to be honest, the stick works a lot better because, really? uh, yeah, because you could you could take like a like a three or four foot section, and you could just cur- take the the stick with you, and you could just walk you know a little bit more, and you could see the air curtain more when you get towards towards the end, you know where that you may be falling off, you know because the length, you you could see the air curtain a little more. I use smoke pens too, like I've I've literally fogged one of these doors to see like how bad the, the air throw is and it, it helps big time, but obviously you can't fog a door during store hours. How do you, man? So like, are you lighting the whole, Oh, okay. All right. Well you said, hold on. Cause you said smoke pen. I'm like, I'm thinking, I was like, I can't even really fog out a case with a fucking smoke pen. So I was curious on how you're really? doing that. I use a math gas torch and a, uh, uh, Milwaukee leaf blower. With a smoke pan, and I, it usually makes a shit ton of smoke. Really? Oh, yeah. Like a shit ton of smoke. Huh. 
Yeah, so I just looked up those specs. Um, five, uh, five, five, five and a quarter at the top, five to five and a quarter at the bottom, and an inch and a quarter in the middle. And you know, the wherever the leading edge of that um, that piece of uh, metal is that that you're using for the nozzle, the diverter needs to be a half an inch from the top edge over towards the the actual door frame, and that goes the same for the bottom section. Um, like Kevin said, you know, unfortunately, those those pieces of metal that they use with the holes in them to set the doors up aren't actually exact as far as, you know, you set it to this, it'll give you this gap. It's not the way it is. So sometimes you just have to legitimately just bend it, bend it out. Like if you're only getting, you know, four and three quarters, well, it looks like I'm just going to bend that just a little bit. And it, it works. It works good. Um, yeah, just be a jackass and just like bend the living shit out of it because I've seen that <laughs> too. Nah, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna post some pictures up on the website and we'll. Uh, I guess we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean these doors are relatively simple, guys. Just don't want to get the best view. I mean they get they get pretty frustrating at times, but just make sure everything else is around the door is working properly before you go like bananas on the door and start adjusting a million things because generally it's going to end bad for you and it's going to make your day worse. So small adjustments first. Yeah. The one last thing that I want to bring up. So typically when you do finally get these things adjusted, you will notice a significant difference. Um, like if you have a box that's really high humidity, you go to breathe in the, in the box um, and you're not getting any, any can't see your breath. Once you start getting these things adjusted, you will act, it'll get stupid cold almost instantly. And you'll, uh, you'll start, you'll start actually start trying to see your breath. Um, the other thing is if you graph the EPR percentages, um, that will also give you an indication whether you're on the right path or not. Um, you'll typically see the graph just start to bury and actually, instead of being at hundred percent constantly, it'll start coming down to the 20, 25, 30, 30% range. Electronic EPRs with air doors are the worst idea ever. Why is that? Box because you can't control the coil temp. So this is why like Costco is like, I think their ways doing things are a lot better now. Like they control all the, all the boxes off, all the coils off coil temperature now. So they're actually controlling it off a of saturated temperature. So that way when the EPR opens after defrost, it's not opening wide up and frosting the coils over because that'll happen. I mean, if you go wide open on those, on those dairy coils post defrost and you're running say like a plus 15 or plus 18 rack, you're going to ice the coils over instantly. Because I mean that the, the box is a high; it's going to run a higher RH than a normal box, so you're going to ice those coils up. So you need to have a pull down percentage in there, or you need to somehow be controlling the saturated temperature. Because if you are just running off a return air temp, I mean, I see it all the time at the Sam's Club ones. the The coil where the door is blowing into the box always ices up. Because that coil is generally 80 to 90% open because it has more load on it. Because that, that area of the box is going to have more load. So that's going to cause an EPR to open up more. And that's going to cause the saturated suction temp to lower. And that's going to cause the coil to ice. And it's this vicious cycle. Once it starts to get a little bit of frost on the coil, then it starts spitting water. And you're out there for generally a water leak. You know, it, you have some water coming off the coil and the low profiles because once that little bit of frost gets on there, it starts spitting water out of the coils. So generally, that's I mean, 
you can adjust the door, but I mean, that's, that's almost a design flaw issue with these doors. I mean, on that, that door side coil where it blows in a little bit, you're going to have a load increase. So not being able to control them off saturated temp, which I think the Sporlin SC3 ones are controlling off of, uh, at least the ones I've done, they are controlling the evaporator saturation. The early ones were just controlling return air temp. And those ones had the icing issue. And I also remember those those coils. Um, you know, we, we talked to this, about this before, but you know, we always say six to eight degrees for medium temp superheat on those low profile uh, evaporators, uh, especially Bone and Heatcraft is the manufacturer I was talking to specifically. But you'll see if you don't have the three to five degrees of superheat that they recommend for those particular coils you'll have icing on the coil side that is opposite of where the pipes enter for the expansion valve. Um, this is the reason for this is because the distributor typically on those size evaporators have about 10 distributor tubes. They're not point down their point. The distributor is actually pointed to the side, probably because of lack of space. And if you don't have enough refrigerant flow coming out of your expansion valve, the refrigerant is going to follow the path of least resistance. So if the distributor is sitting on the side where it's just shooting straight out and you don't have enough refrigerant, obviously that refrigerant is going to go to the lowest point. Well, the lowest point on that particular evaporator is the coil on the side of the expansion valve where basically the top part of the distributor is not getting any refrigerant. So the coil on the left-hand side is is clear doesn't have anything on it but then on the right side you'll have a copious amount of ice so just be aware of that as well the superheat on those particular evaporators does have to be lower than what a typical medium temp coil needs to be at and make sure when you're looking at it making sure that the evaporators are clear because like kevin said you know if you have any ice or any kind of debris on those things you know, what really happens is, is if you're blocking part of that coil up with ice, you're decreasing the amount of space that that, that can, the air can go through that coil. So if we decrease that amount of space, then you have, it picks up more velocity. So like you said, that's when it starts spitting the water directly out of the damn coil. And you've seen them where they're usually uh, typically uh, measuring return air temp, correct? Yeah, correct. They're measuring return air temp. So, but the SC3s are measuring saturated suction temperature. And so is microthermal on the newer stores. They're doing uh, using transistors and they're, they're controlling the electronic EPRs off that. But if you don't have the ability to do that, you're better off having an uh, MA8 style EPR, like a standard EPR, where it's just going to be set to control saturation and that's it. Because if you're dipping down too low, you're going to ice the coils over. That that's where that's where electronic EPRs really don't do good at. Like it's there there's it's it's a, it's not the EPR, it's the control strategy at hand because they're controlling return air temp. It's just not a it's just not a good application for that. You know, if you if you had a better control strategy, it'd be fine. Like if you're controlling off saturation, it's fine, it works great. But in that in that sense, I'd rather have mechanical EPRs because they cause less problems. Unfortunately, all the ones I've ever seen are all electronic for all those. It's 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 50-50 with us. So with Sam's, obviously, it's all electronic. 
Costco, it's 50-50, depending on the store, what, what what's there, depending on how the remodel goes. Um, but yeah, th- there's a lot of stores going to these. Pretty much every Sam's and Costco in the country is going to have an open-air dairy cooler. I mean, it's the, the new rave. I don't know, me personally, I don't like shopping in a in a cold cooler, so... I don't, I don't get the whole, the whole uh, nuance behind it, but uh, it's easier to stock and easier to sell things out of apparently. Well, I mean, you don't, like you just said it. I mean, you don't have to stock it nearly as much. They're basically pallets empty, bring another pallet done, you know, instead of having to waste the time of the, of the person just stocking all the shelves or the, or the rear load or whatever the hell they have. Right. So they run into stuff. Yeah. That's the only thing you guys will notice as you do more service on these things. You will see that the doors uh, occasionally, uh, like at least once a month, get hammered. Um, oh, so take a straight, a brand new one at a Sam's. We we literally just turned a box over to him. Straight yeah. masked up forklift hit. The dude hit from front of the box to back of the box. Like he bowed the whole like door piece, the whole uh, structural steel for the blower. Like it was, I mean, it was, it was violent. Yeah. Not- make, make sure, make sure you adjust when you, when you're done adjusting these, make marks on whatever you, wherever you have it. Uh, hey. Nail, po- nail, po- nail polish works. Uh, so you can adjust it so you can see if the, the bolts were ever broken free. Um, so just keep that in mind and maybe even take a picture of, of how you had the door set up as far as the angle. That'll help you uh, readjust it. Then if, you know, when that, it's inevitable it's going to happen. They're going to hit the freaking door. And if they don't hit the door, the customer is going to hit the door. Someone's going to hit the damn door. Yeah, I mean, I usually take a paint marker to them, just a white paint marker, and I'll mark the threads on the bottom, mm-hmm. not on the top, so I'll mark the threads. So that way you can see if somebody spun the bolt loose or whatnot. But, yeah, generally, like, they have a ballard there, but usually the customers will knock shopping carts into them. Like, you'll find them off a little bit here or there, just bend it back. Or you'll find a fork straight through the thing, and at that point, you're just like a body shop at that point. But, all right, guys, I think it's enough talk about ATR air doors. <laughs> so, all right, guys, have a nice night. Later, guys.